0: People come to church sometimes, it looks like they've been baptized in a fresh jar of vinegar. And I don't understand it. And then they stand up with that sour face and talk about how the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, buddy, I'm glad you're getting some strength out of it. If it wasn't for that joy of the Lord, I don't know what in the world life would be like. But I think you ought to have fun in church. Why don't you look at your neighbor and smile, show them your teeth, and say, I'm glad to see you. My most favorite follow-up with that little statement is, if you don't have teeth, just show them what you got. They may not want to see it, but you can at least offer. Be courteous about it. Let's have Bible study before I get in trouble. uh, Is everybody feeling good here tonight yet? Y'all okay? Everybody doing good? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Glad to have our guest here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we were anticipating some guests here tonight. And uh, we're never caught off guard when it comes to guests. We're always prepared. And we're glad you're here. And we want you to feel welcome. If you don't feel welcome, don't blame me. Because I'm trying to make you feel welcome. If you don't feel welcome, blame everybody else that's here tonight. Like I said, we better get going on Bible study, hadn't we? Last Wednesday night, uh, all seriousness aside, I started a, a Bible study series that I want to pick up again tonight that is, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying that it becomes at least one of our Wednesday night highlights of the year because the material I'm teaching is not, it's not psychology, it's biblical, and I was a little nervous last Wednesday night that some of you would think that I was just headed down some strange path of psychology and just wishing positive thinking and what have you this is biblical and i'm going to prove it in just a few moments but i would love for everyone in this that attends grace church consistently i would i would nothing could hardly excite me more than for you to know how as a person for you to know how to develop a vision for your life this can be for the kingdom of god It can be for your marriage. It can be for your home. It can be for your church. It can be for your job. But to think bigger and to do it based on the kingdom of God. Society would have us to believe that we can accomplish whatever we put our mind to and if we work hard enough, we can be successful. And while that may be true, It's usually not a good idea to rush into things. Taking baby steps doesn't guarantee us success either. Somewhere along the line, no matter what you plan for your life, there has to be a God accent on it. There has to be a God approval. There has to be a God direction, if you will. So last week we introduced to you two parts. There's 20. There's 20 parts. To developing a vision last Wednesday night we introduced to you too so as you can see we have a little ways to go uh, they'll be putting things up on the screen for you to see uh, I would encourage you if you can to take notes or to go back and on the website and listen to it when it's uploaded to the website but last week we introduced developing a vision parts one and two Part one is that vision begins with a concern. And I'm going to give you our biblical model for this in just a moment. But developing a vision, first of all, begins as a concern. Developing a vision, number two, is that a vision does not necessarily require immediate action. Now, we talked about those things last Wednesday night. If you were not here, go to the website and listen to it if you would. We're going to begin talking tonight about what to do during the period of time where you are waiting to see what God wants you to do next. Has anybody ever been in that position? You feel like there's something that God wants you to do. You're being, you're being prodded. You're being pushed, but you don't know what, you don't know where, and you don't know when. We've all, all of us have been in that position. But listen very carefully. Visions can die during this stretch of inactivity while you're waiting. It's discouraging to continue to dream about something that appears to have no potential of ever happening. Did everybody catch that? I'll I'll say it again. It's discouraging to continually dream about something that you believe has no potential Of ever coming to pass. After a prolonged period of waiting. A vision of what could be. And should be. Slips into the rim Of what won't ever be. You don't have to raise your hand. But has anybody ever been in that place before? I have. On many occasions. You you have this huge burst of inspiration and excitement and you say man and it often happens with church that man the church is just fixing to erupt I've been there a thousand times as pastor it's fixing to blow wide open and then you go for seemingly two or three years where nothing happens and it's hard to keep dreaming about something when the future keeps telling you it'll never happen it'll never happen it'll never happen so what should you do In the meantime, to keep your dream alive. When you feels like God has you in this holding pattern and it makes no sense, it has no rhyme or reason, you're just in this this place of no momentum, very little excitement, you're just getting by, you're just plodding along out of duty, what do you do? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah is our biblical model of this. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislew in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, this is Nehemiah speaking, that Hananai, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped and were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these things that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven and great and terrible God that that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Boy, this is throwing the law of God back up in his face, isn't it? Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open. That thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now. Day and night before the children of Israel, thy servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house of sin we have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments without which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven... Yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. and. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. When Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem, listen very carefully. When he heard the walls were torn down, broken down, and the gates were burned with fire, there was nothing he could physically do to remedy that situation at that moment. There was nothing he could do. It seemed as if he was in the wrong place, with the wrong job, working for the wrong guy. But Nehemiah, in his current place, refused to be inactive. told you last Wednesday night, it was four months from when he received word of the condition of Jerusalem until he was finally able to go. It took four months. So four months he sat there and, in the king's palace, as the king's cupbearer, twiddling his thumbs, if you will, and could do nothing else about it. There was nothing he could do. So there were two things that Nehemiah did to prepare for the time when God would ultimately lead him to pursue his vision. And what I'm about to introduce to you is not generic. I know it biblically and I know it personally. The first thing he did when he got, first of all, I told you last Wednesday night, the vision for Nehemiah began as he was exposed to a situation. He was burdened by it. Vision begun for him and begins with us with burden, care, concern. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm so heavy. Etc. And then God, as we told you last Wednesday night, just said, wait. God exposed him to something that swept him off of his feet and then said, wait. So the first thing Nehemiah did was he prayed. Now, I want to make a plug here for Grace Prayer Meetings. I understand last night was incredible with Lyft, our ladies in faith together. Lyft last night had an incredible prayer meeting, great turnout. But I have a feeling there's a whole lot more that could have come. There's walls that need to be rebuilt. There's some gates that need to be replaced. And I know we're all in a waiting pattern, waiting for a whole lot of things to happen in all of our lives. But while you're waiting, the one thing you can do is pray. Prayer is critical. Everybody say critical. Prayer is critical to the development of a vision. Why? Because... We see what we are looking for and often miss what we don't expect to see. Prayer keeps us looking. When you're burdened about something, you're going to do just what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 1 that I just read to you. You're going to remind God of everything you can remind God of. You're going to throw his commandments up in his face. Excuse me, and I'm being respectful, but you're going to throw his promises up as Brother Merrill preached Sunday morning. If you get a chance, go listen to that on the website if you were not here Sunday morning. Incredible message on God's promise. But we'll throw everything up. I've done it. I've paced back and forth along here many, many, many times saying, God, you promised this, you said that, your word says this, and reminded God. You know what that was doing? It wasn't just me reminding God of something as though he forgot. But it kept me looking, man. It kept me focused on what I was burdened for. It kept me just focused in, just zeroed in. You're not happy with your life right now. Take it to God, man. It keeps you focused on it until it starts getting better. He prayed. Prayer keeps you looking in the direction you need to be looking. It keeps you focused in a God direction. When God begins to move, we're not only going to see if we are ready, we're, we're going to see. When God starts moving, we will begin to see if we're ready to start moving in the direction that God wants us to move in. When we keep praying, you'll start feeling that gentle tug of the Spirit of God that says, okay, I want you to start taking steps in that direction. I want you to go ahead and pursue that ministry. I want you to go ahead and pursue that area that you want to go to. I want you to pursue things in your life, as Brother Merrill preached this morning. I want you to start pursuing that. If you're praying, it keeps you looking. And then when God starts to move on you, then you'll see if you're ready to do what God wants you to do or not. Prayer is an essential part, a necessary part of maintaining Vision, You'll notice, notice, Nehemiah did not pray for God to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. He prayed that God would give him the opportunity to go build that wall in Jerusalem. So I mentioned last last Wednesday night, and I said it kind of in jest, and I said it mostly serious been times that people have come here and um uh, come to my office or approach me after church and say brother murphy i have a real big vision about something i have a real burden about something i think this scenario we need to move okay well you're the person that starts moving us in that direction then you're the one that has a burden for it you're the one that has a vision. don't come make a suggestion to me i think that happened to sister carol last year with the prayer journey for the kids if i'm not mistaken Brother Murphy, I have a great idea. Okay. Well, why don't you do that? I'm glad she did. Thankful for that. But we say that in jest. But if you're the one that God is talking to, then who is the one more qualified to do it? But here's the thing. Brother Gary, if you want all 100 kids, 12 and under, don't pray that God will send somebody to bring 100 kids. Won't Grace Reach to go out of the park and what have you? Another van and we need one now and what have you? Don't, don't pray that, oh, God, just, just God, you go take care of it and you do everything. No, that's not how vision works. God exposes you to do stuff or God exposes you to stuff so you can do it. Hello. And that is the big difference between a dreamer and a visionary. Dreamers can sit around all day long dreaming about what can be. But a visionary is the one that will start taking steps in that direction to make it happen. That's the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. Dreamers dream about things being different. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Dreamers think about how nice it would be for something to be done. Visionaries look for an opportunity to do something. So Nehemiah prayed. He prayed night and day. He cried. He moaned. He fasted. He reminded God of everything he reminded. I just read that to you. And it kept Nehemiah focused on the direction of his vision. He didn't ask God to do anything but equip him to go do the work. The second thing Nehemiah did in this waiting period was that he planned. Nehemiah thought about what would be needed to accomplish this vision or at least get it started. If God is exposing you to something and wanting you to move into another area of ministry or greater area of ministry or involvement in church or what have you, you can pray about it, and pray about it, and pray about it. But add to that prayer planning. So when my moment comes... I'm prepared. I have a plan. I'm the kind of pastor. uh, I've taught our leadership team. I reminded someone of this not too long ago. Don't come into my office with a problem in your department without what you think is a solution. Okay. All of our sweet Sunday school teachers having classroom problems. Come, You're welcome to come talk to me about it. Go to Brother Gary first, obviously. But whatever. But don't come to me with a problem unless you have what you think is a solution. It may be the solution. It may not be. But we'll, at least you're planning. You're not just whining about a problem. <laughs> don't do that. Not interested in that. Bow up. Put on your big boy pants. If you're a lady, put on your big girl skirt. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And come, let's talk about the problem. And then give me a solution. I believe there's a lot of places God could take us in the kingdom of God if we quit whining about the way things are and start planning ways that can get better. Everybody say amen. It's to help you on your job. it will help you in your marriage. In every way, it will help you. It applies to all of it. Now, I'm obviously teaching the kingdom of God part of it. But Nehemiah planned. Nehemiah thought about what would be needed to accomplish this vision or at least get started. If God has given us a vision, then we need to go ahead and start developing a plan. Assuming you had the resources to bring your vision to pass, what would you do? Do you know? Murphy, I want a home, I want a wife, I want a husband, I want kids, it'll do da-da-da, da okay, what's your plan to bring that to pass, do you have one, or are you just going to sit around and whine about it for the rest of your life, and if God afforded you that opportunity, and that husband or wife on the other side of that equation came in and said, you know what, honey, you're brilliant, you're close to God, and you've been praying for us, and I know that you have a better plan for our home, what is it? You ready to answer? Do you have an answer? You got a plan. Prayer is an awesome tool. You have to plan. Nehemiah laid out steps of how to pursue his vision. He made sure that if they got an opportunity to present his vision to the king, he was ready. He knew what he was going to say. So this brings us to the third part of developing a vision, and that is pray for opportunities and then began planning as if you expect God to answer that prayer. Now I've had this happen to me where God took the reverse of it. I've prayed and prayed and prayed about things to happen, and they happened. And I wasn't ready. I didn't have a plan. Okay, y'all aren't y'all didn't hear that too good, so <clears throat> I remember when we were in Baker. With 45, 50 people, I'd go up to church and pray, God, give us 100 souls, 100 people. God, 125, we can do it. God, we can do it. We're ready. We, we got him. God, we can do it. We can do it. Well, we bought this building, closed on Friday. As all of you know the story because I've said it 5,000 times. Averaging 60 people. And in one week, we went from an average of 60, 65 people to 125 in one week. That's awesome, ain't it? But guess what? I wasn't ready. God, now, I didn't mean that fast in a week. I'm in a hundred more over a process of time. You know, we need to time sometimes. say so i learned the hard way. I've learned the hard way. That be careful what you pray for. God just might give it to you. And when he does, you need to be ready. We didn't have Sunday school teachers. I think at that time we had three. And we had kids running around here everywhere. I mean, you had one teacher with like 400 kids in one class. They were on top of each other. It was a challenge. It took us about six months, and I, I felt like a newborn giraffe. I just kind of wildly, and I, from one Sunday to the next, and I'm trying to recruit people like crazy, and I'm still trying to recruit people like crazy. And, <laughs> and here we are. But God brought my vision to pass. And I'm living a dream come true. Every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, I'm living a dream. This is a dream come true right now. What I'm doing right now is something I've planned and prayed for for a number of years. To teach this material to people that I believe can get their head around it. And we can change not only our church, but we can change this city for the kingdom of God. I believe we can do that. But I want to be ready. So pray for opportunities and plan as if you expect God to answer your prayers. The problem that we have sometimes is that many of us fail to pray and fail to plan. Now, sometimes what we call praying is a wine session. We just want to come and vent all of our problems on God. Just, he's big and he's strong, he has broad shoulders and... Like, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I, I, it's like you know people that every time you come to pray, all they do is cry. Do you ever think God gets tired of hearing you cry about everything? You would give God; he'd go into cardiac arrest if you walked into your prayer room one day and said, "Ha ha ha! Hey, God, I'm on top of the world!" And God would go. Poof. Angels would have to do CPR. We failed to pray, and we fail to plan. If the person you've been praying for, listen very carefully. If the person that you've been praying for for years walked up to you tonight after church and said, I'm ready to give my heart to God, what do I need to do? What would you say? Well, where's my phone? Call Brother Murphy and... Let, let me think about it, and I'll get back with you. Anybody got your head around that little concept? We pray for backsliders. We pray for for unchurched people. God, what do I do? Okay, if all of a sudden the opportunity to switch jobs or careers—something you've been praying about for years—suddenly comes to pass, what are you going to say? You ready? Are you going to tell the guy, the person calling you, saying, well, give me about two weeks, and I'll get back to you. Now, wait, you've been praying about this for three or four years, and now God's brought it to pass, and you don't know what to do. If God did huge reconciliation in your family, what would you do? Do you have a plan? Would you be caught off guard? If God worked out that promotion that you wanted, are you ready? Do you have a plan? You see what I'm saying? We pray about things and pray about things and pray about things. And then God, how many times, this is what I'm saying, and this is something you'll understand. How many times have you been in a restaurant, or or, beloved Walmart, and you meet somebody that you've not seen in years, but you prayed for them and what have you, and you just, boom, bump into them. And the door opens wide. You'd invite them to church or to Encourage them to get their heart right with God. And you just stand there like a deer staring in the headlights. We pray as Pentecostals, and I will to attribute one thing to being Pentecostal, is for the most part, Pentecostals know how to pray. But we don't know how to plan. And when it happens, you're caught wobbly and off balance. And by the time you say, let me get back to you, a man testified, used to attend our church in Baker, and if I called his name, a lot of you would know him. But he said he prayed and prayed and prayed for a man, hardly ever saw him, but ran into him one day, had a golden opportunity to invite the man to get his heart right with God. He didn't do it and kicked himself, figuratively speaking, all the way down the highway. For a couple of days he kicked himself, found out four days later the man died. We have to be ready. Jesus taught, be ready to give. An answer. After plan, everybody say amen. amen. All of us probably like to have a better marriage, and we always want God to fix it. Do you have a plan? Even as we pray about, uh, pray about, and plan for the vision. Sometimes it seems overwhelming and impossible. When God puts something on our hearts, it's, it always seems out of reach. You know why? Because it is. When God puts something on your heart that He wants you to do, if He's moving you in a particular direction, it's going to always seem to be out of reach or virtually impossible because it is. God has always ordained visions. To be too big for us to handle. Because if we could handle visions on our own. Then we wouldn't need God. So they are planned to be that way. There's always and with a vision. There's always more questions than answers. There's more obstacles than solutions. As I said earlier Nehemiah no doubt felt like he was in the wrong place. Doing the wrong thing. At the wrong time. But God knew what he was doing. He had Nehemiah in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. God had given Nehemiah a place. Listen. God had given Nehemiah a place among the palace servants. Then he maneuvered him through the ranks of influential Persian officials so he would be noticed for his integrity and trustworthiness. Eventually, he was recommended to be the king, uh, be uh, recommended to the king, and was appointed to the position of cupbearer. That means he tasted everything before the king drank it. If it was poisonous, Nehemiah died. He had to be a very trustworthy man to do that. On the surface, it might have appeared that God was moving Nehemiah in a direction that would make it impossible for Nehemiah to bring his vision to pass. But actually, the opposite was true. God gave Nehemiah a job and a relationship that gave him an inside track to the king. Like a master strategist, God was working behind the scenes, putting everything in position so that when opportunity came, For Nehemiah to ask to go to Jerusalem and then to finance that trip, he was in good cahoots with the king and they made it happen. God did that. And every one of us here tonight, at one time in our lives or another, and possibly even right now as I speak, feels like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You need to be a million miles from here in any direction. When in reality... God has you almost like a piece on a chessboard putting you here and then putting you there and then putting you here. I lived that for some 15 years when we came here to pastor this church. I lived in that state of mind. God, what am I doing here when I was working a secular job and the employer don't even like me and I don't like him either and, and on and on it went and God, why are you doing this to me? And all the while God was putting me here and putting me there and putting me here and putting me there. Now, looking back, I can see all that. Which brings us to the fourth part of building a vision. Somebody needs to hear this right now. But God is using your circumstances to position and prepare you to accomplish his vision for your life. And you don't no more believe that than flying to the moon in the morning. My brother said one time, that is as useless as the G in the word lasagna. Boy, y'all are a slow bunch of people tonight. If Y'all ever pronounced it lasagna? <clears throat> just as this was true for Nehemiah, it's also true for us, and we just can't see it. God! How on this green planet can you be doing anything in my life that's worthwhile? Look at the circumstances I'm in right now. I I could elaborate this point for a long time and I won't. But all of us has been through brutal situations in our life. It could be the loss of a loved one, the failure of a marriage. It could be church issues, preacher issues, and you're thinking, God, this is supposed to be the will of God. How do you think Nehemiah felt? He was an intelligent man, a well-trained man, carried into Persian captivity. He didn't do anything to deserve that. He had a burden for his homeland, a real burden, a real passion, a real concern, a real sympathy. For his brethren that were still there and they were sitting around twilling their thumbs and here he was in Persia and he couldn't do anything about it. And he's like, my God, where are you in all this? When in reality, God put him there. Ask Joseph when he was sitting in a dungeon and I'll come to that in a few, in a few minutes if we have time. This is easy to see when we're looking back, but it always takes faith when you're looking ahead, and often we cannot see any tangible connection between our circumstances and the vision God has given to us. There's no correlation, there's no connection. God has given me vision A on planet XYZ somewhere, and here I am stuck on reality or circumstance B on planet disaster, and planet everything is going wrong, and there is no connection between the two. That's the way we see. that don't make sense to us on the surface but rest, be rest assured that God is working behind the scenes to position everything needed to accomplish the vision he has given so the what of a vision always precedes the how you will always know what God has put in your heart to do long before you know how he intends for you to bring that to pass Nehemiah definitely knew what God had called him to do, but he didn't have a clue as to how or when God would pull it off. But God, on the other hand, knows just how to work these things. Quickly, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. This is Nehemiah speaking. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, saying that thou art sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. God was about to blow the doors wide open for Nehemiah's vision to come to pass. And he was terrified. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. The king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? This is where he had to have a plan. Nehemiah said, I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Do you realize how important this man is to the king And he's asking the king to let him leave. That just don't happen. And he knew if the king wanted to, he could have drew a sword and thrust him through and killed him right there on the spot. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Nehemiah had A plan. Moreover, he said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the palace that appertain to the house and the wall of the city, and to the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah prayed, and he had a plan. When the king said, Okay, you can go, what do you need? He had an answer. He didn't say, let me go think about it and talk to 43 people and visit with my parents and my grandparents and my kids and all that. He had a plan. So God not only knew how to secure Nehemiah's release from service to the king, but he also knew how the financing of that project would be handled. And that happened here. Many visions die in the time between what and how. We know what God has called us to do, but over time, not knowing how, causes us to lower our sights and shoot for a target that we have some hopes of maybe hitting one day. We settle for a lesser vision than we think we can accomplish. And as we saw earlier, it's important that we pray and plan as best as we know how, but remember that a divine vision requires divine intervention And that brings us to the fifth point of this. And I'll conclude with this point. What God originates, God can orchestrate. I learned it the hard way with this building. I'll never forget telling Bill Parsons, who was a pastor of Central Worship Center and what is now Brother Merrill's office. He said, y'all going to build on Blackwater? And I said, yeah, planning on it. He said, would you be interested in buying in this building without stopping to think for one second? And Brother Merrill can, uh, can vouch for that. Yeah, we'll buy it. Sure will. So what Bill Parsons didn't know is every time we came to vote here for the previous five years prior to that and even more, Sister Murphy and I would walk around inside this building. We'd walk in the sanctuary and walk all the way around it and kept thinking, boy, it'd be great to have this place. It'd be great to have this place. Great. To be. I had a plan, man. I don't mind taking someone's leftover church building. I don't have to build my own. If you can't be successful in it, give it to me. I'll try. What God originates, he orchestrates. When God speaks to us, we always ask how. But how is never a problem for God. And Brother Gary, I'll confess, with buying vans and buses and all that for, for Grace Reach and and Sunday School Facility, uh, Sarah Elsenrath had a message delivered to me Last Monday, thank you very much. Tell pastor that my Sunday school room is too small. We have too many kids in there now. Well, what does Sarah want me to do? Pull a Sunday school room out of thin air? We'll do something. And I've got a plan. It took me a day or two, but I've got one, and we're going to start working on it. We'll see if we can make that happen. I have a plan. We'll talk about that later. Now, when God something originates with God, he will orchestrate it. And make it come to pass. Remember the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1? When Gabriel came and appeared to her. And tells her the vision that God has for her life. You're going to give birth to the redeemer of mankind. But Joseph ain't going to be the daddy. You know what her first question was? How? Sound like an old Indian chief. How? How can it be since I'm a virgin, she said. And the angel just simply replies a very short and simple answer. With God, all things are possible. When God puts something in your heart to do, he goes to work behind the scenes to ensure that it happens. And it's not us, up to us to figure out how to pull off the vision our job is simply to do what we know to do, and then we wait for God. Think back for, with me for a moment, and I'll conclude with this point. Can you remember one story anywhere in the entire Bible where God ever gave the responsibility of figuring out how a divine vision would be fulfilled to the person that God had given the vision to? Boy, that's a long sentence. When Moses came to the Red Sea with the Israelites and Egyptians behind him, did God just wish him the best of luck and see you later, figure it out on your own? Was it David's responsibility to figure out how to get King Saul out of the way so he could take the throne of Israel and turn that nation around in the direction it should go? Did God leave that up to David? As a matter of fact, God orchestrated at least two opportunities for David to go ahead and take care of it. And God, David still chose to wait on God. When Jesus told the apostles to feed the 5,000, did he leave it up to them on how to figure out how to multiply them two fish and five loaves of bread? How the vision would be accomplished was not up to them. They just did what they knew to do, and they never lost sight of the vision. Is anybody with me here tonight? Anybody with me tonight? Of all the things that we want to accomplish as a church, I have a tall mountain to climb ahead of me right now. This pastor will be talking to you about it hopefully in a few weeks. I have a tall mountain to climb, but I'm not worried about the house. God will take care of that. I learned a long time ago, if God wants something to happen, ain't nothing going to stop it from happening. We just have to be willing to keep our eye on him and never lose sight of the vision that he's given us. Helping people have the faith to follow God's plan for their life is something that I'm really passionate about. If you'll allow me, I'd like to read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 16, and we'll start wrapping this up. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, And gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. I rose in the night and I had some few men with me. Neither told I any man. What my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and to the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof that were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool and there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So I went up under the in, in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered the gate of the valley and so returned and the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews nor the priests nor the nobles nor the rulers nor to the rest that did the work. As burdened as he was, as passionate as he was, as in the will of God as he was, he told no one of his vision until it was ready, until God was ready for that vision to begin to be fulfilled. Sometimes you just have to keep it to yourself. You don't have to run around and get anybody's approval. You don't have to run around getting people's permission. If it's a God thing, sometimes you have to keep it on the inside and it'll make you want to explode sometimes. But this is a part of developing a vision. You learn, you can survey, and you learn how to keep it to yourself until God is ready to bring it to pass. I'm sure Nehemiah's arrival in Jerusalem didn't go unnoticed. He didn't tell anyone right away about the vision God had given him. And that will bring us to the next point next Wednesday night. It's walk before you talk and investigate before you initiate. We'll come to that next Wednesday night. Stand with me tonight. I'm going to ask you to pray before we leave (coughs) that God would bring this stuff home to you. Especially our church leaders. There's so much more we can do. There's so much more we can bring to the table. We have to be visionary people. Not just dreamers. But people that are willing to take action and move forward in the will and the work of God. That he has planned for this church and for our lives. And I want you to pray with me right now. That God would lead us, guide us to be better, to be bigger. To be more productive in his kingdom. Everybody pray with me right now if you would. Father we love you.